This podcast is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. This is the Work and Life podcast, which explores how to create harmony among the different parts of life, work, home, community, and the private self, your mind, body, and spirit. Here is your host, founding director of Wharton's Work-Life Integration Project and author of the bestseller, Total Leadership, Professor Stu Friedman. Lenny Jolson-Cohn is director of leadership and executive development at Citigroup. She has had an incredible career at Citigroup, first in business roles and then in various HR roles, but leading teams has been the cornerstone throughout. After 20 years in various roles at Citigroup, she decided to follow her passion for coaching and developing people and became Citi's North America Director of Leadership Executive and Professional Development about five or six years ago. In addition, she uh, serves as part of Marshall Goldsmith's 100 Coaches Group, of which I'm also a member. Laney believes that leadership happens in small, everyday moments, and every one of us has the potential to exhibit leadership by being mindful of these opportunities, making deliberate choices. And this, of course, affects all different parts of your life and relationships in them. Laney holds an MBA in Human Resources Management from the Zicklin School of Business at Baruch College in New York and a bachelor's in psychology from the University of Connecticut. So now, get set to listen and learn from a master in the field of leadership and executive development. It's Laney Jolson-Cohen. Laney, thank you so much for joining me in the studio. It's really great to have you here. Thanks. It's great to be here. All right. So um, what is your role at, at City, and how did you get there? Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting path and in how I got there. So my role, as you mentioned, is leadership and executive development. I work with our business partners to um, really match our leadership and executive solutions to their business needs. That sounds kind of uh, <laughs> up in the air, but what does it mean? Let me bring it down for you. So, so we have a suite of leadership programs. The idea is to prepare the leaders at City, of which there are about 47,000, um, to be really productive and good bosses um, to create an environment where our most valuable resource, our talent, can actually thrive and meet with success. So I have the pleasure of working with our business leaders, working with you know managers at all levels of the organization, and trying to, to help them learn how to be better leaders. And how do you find out what those leadership needs are? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there, there's a lot of different ways. One very simple way is that we ask people in the organization, what do you need from your leaders to be successful? Hmm. And I, 
you'd, you'd be surprised. People have a lot of ideas about that. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of needs analysis to understand. So what's most common right now? What, what are the things that people are saying um, about you know, what, what is most, the most pressing leadership need in your firm? People want their leaders to focus them, to help them understand what they need to do to be successful, mm. you know, what they need to do as, as a group to meet their goals. They want their leaders to inspire them, right? So to actually show them the way forward in a way that gets them excited and it gives them a purpose to come to work. Um, they want their leaders to know them, to actually take mm. a moment to get to know who they are outside of city and the organization. And mm. I think this goes, you know, wherever it is that you that you might work. Um, people want to know that you care and that you value them. So saying thank you and really showing that you value the contribution that your people are making is one of the key things that people are interested I, in. I want to return to that and, and other ways in which you find out what the needs are that you then try to build. Uh, but if we could step back for just a moment and give us just the, the quick capsule of how you got into this. like What, what yeah. led you? Because I know that there are some people listening who are thinking, ah, leadership development uh, executive coaching, that sounds kind of interesting. Uh, a lot of people who listen to this show are you know, into that aspect of, uh, of organizational life. How'd you get to, uh, to this position? It was a long path. <laughs> so I, I worked in the business, um, in the investment bank. I worked in the brokerage business. Hmm. I went into human resources um, probably in about 1995 and worked in technical areas of human resources like compensation for many, many years. Hmm. And in 2010, I was invited to go to one of City's leadership programs for, for senior executives. And in that program, there was a coach that sat at the table with the participants. Each person got two half-hour coaching sessions. Mm -hmm. And we brought a business challenge and got to learn about our leadership and got feedback. Um, and so many people walked out of that, that class saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do to be a better leader. This is what I'm going to do to you know advance my business challenge. And I walked out saying, oh my gosh, you can actually do this for a job. <laughs> They'll pay you to do this. <laughs> they, this is amazing. <laughs> and so my epiphany uh, happened actually there. Um, and I, I... So you hadn't experienced that before. I had not. So I had led large teams for quite a while, and mm -hmm. I always knew that I was really energized by helping other people succeed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I didn't have a name for it, and I didn't know that it was a, a job that somebody could do. So it was very serendipitous and lucky for me that I had this experience and was able to then parlay that into a formal role about a, a year later. All right, not luck. I, I'm going to suggest that okay. it was probably a combination of circumstance, but you also then took that feeling, that insight, that, you know, that aha, like, I could do this, and you did something with it. Yeah. Right. That wasn't just handed to you. So what did you have to do? I, I think this is an important point about just finding your niche in the world. Uh, far too often people have that that feeling of, wow, look what that person's doing. I could do that and get paid for it. But then they don't pursue it because they're afraid or they they think that their families will think it's stupid or wrong or somehow or that they weren't fully prepared for it or 
you know, all the all the many reasons why people don't walk through those doors of opportunity. So what uh, what compelled you to, to to move on that? Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, because I did do a lot of work to actually make that transition. Right. Um, so I, I walked out with that feeling of excitement and passion stoked. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I knew that I needed to do something. And so the first thing that I did is I found out how do you become a coach at this program? And so while in the role that I was in, I got certified to become a coach for this leadership program and started coaching. Um, so it was a great way to dip my toes in the water. It was safe, right? I was still mm-hmm. in the role that I was in, um, but got to really confirm that this was something that I wanted to pursue more full time. Um, I then went out. What was involved in that certification process? Can you give us a little more detail about like what you had to do? Yeah, I had to, to um, essentially it was internal, but I had to do coursework, if you will, to mm-hmm. learn what a good coach does. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to coach with a, um, a person with me, kind of observing and giving me feedback mm-hmm. um, and debriefing. And then after a period of time, I was set out on my own. Um, after which I also got a lot of feedback from the people um, that I was, co- you know, who I was coaching. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I had this mentor who was kind of following me for about a year to, to make sure that I was being a good coach. How, the, how did she or he do that? Um, re- really great. So, so coaching is a lot about the questions that you ask, right? And so my mentor in coaching was fabulous at asking me questions and helping me dig deeper mm-hmm. into you know the people that I was working with, the situations that I was coming up against. And so really got me to, much like a good coach would, um, get there on my own and kind mm-hmm. of figure out how to be better at it. A lot of people think that coaching is telling other people what to do, but non-directive coaching, which is what I teach in my leadership and teamwork classes, is all about asking intelligent and compassionate questions that help your client, whether it's fellow student or whomever, to discover what they already know or to at least put into words uh, ideas, feelings that help them to see what it is that they need to understand better. Um, So what else can you tell us about what you learned in the certification process about what a good coach does? I'm so glad that you brought up the word compassion, because when you're coaching somebody, it's really not about you. Um, It is about that person and and enabling that person to feel safe and have trust so that they can be vulnerable and actually share with you what's going on and work on something that maybe has been sort of out there for them for a really long time and holding them back in many cases. Mm -hmm. Um, In order to do that, you have to have a lot of compassion and create a space for really, you know, deep dialogue around what's going on for, for that person. And what, what does that take? How do you do that? Um, I, I think... How do you express that compassion in a way that your client feels like they can say what they need to say and, and to talk about the things that they need to say that they might not otherwise have had the, the courage to do? Yeah. I think a lot of it is around um, the positive reinforcement. So I'll give you a couple of examples. You know, Please. often... Um, when somebody's talking to me and they, you know, share with me something that they haven't told anybody or they're really struggling with, 
it's something that is really common, actually. That's many people who are in their situation or many leaders mm-hmm. might struggle with. And so sort of, a, you know, letting them know that they're not alone. <laughs> that to, this, normalize to normalize their struggle. It. Yeah, mm-hmm. this is something. So many people actually struggle with this. And, you know, I've, I've heard this before. You know, that, that seems to really um, set people at ease. And I think the mm-hmm. other part of it is actually thanking people for taking, you know, having their trust in me mm-hmm. and actually sharing what they're dealing with. So actually thanking somebody, mm-hmm. you know, listening, not coming back and speaking right away, giving them an opportunity to really talk through it, um, and asking questions that help them, you know, add color to what's going on, add texture, and really get, almost get it out of their systems, mm-hmm. I think, helps create that safe space when I'm working with someone. So that they can then discover uh, what it is that uh, that that they need to be wrestling with and addressing. Sounds pretty easy. You just sit there and listen, right? And nod, uh-huh. Exactly. <laughs> what What is it that makes that makes coaching uh, an exciting challenge for you? I really enjoy helping people succeed and move past something that's been holding them back for a long time. And so there's those elements, and when you say it's easy, right, the elements of compassion, of asking good questions, and sometimes sort of nudging people a little bit um, to face some something that maybe they, they've struggled to face. Um, so sometimes the questions are, you know, a little tougher to, mm-hmm. um, to kind of uncover or unleash something that um, somebody maybe hasn't seen themselves. So mm-hmm. insights or... Um, like what? Can you give an example of a, of a recent coaching exchange in which you had to do that? Yeah, I, I was talking to a leader who was struggling to um, get close to her team and to really feel like she was making a connection and that her team was respecting her. And respecting her? Mm-hmm. And that is this is this related to the the theme of people wanting to be known by their by their bosses by their leaders as as one of the needs that you're trying to cultivate in the organization this idea yeah. of, of of there being well there being mutual respect i think it's mutual respect and you know what what when we started to talk through situations mm-hmm. where this came up so i said well tell me about a time where you felt this way mm-hmm. give me an example and she had a lot of them um, and when we talked through them, you know, I started asking some questions about what she was saying and doing in these situations because I was hearing a lot about, you know, what her team was saying or doing in those situations. And I, you know, I said, just take a moment. Let's just pause and give me some, you know, give me some playback on what that was. And she thought for a moment. And what she realized is that she's actually not listening herself to her team. And so when I asked her, you but know, how did she come to realize that? So, so when I was asking her what, you know, what they were saying in mm-hmm. those meetings and what they were doing, she, she came to the realization that she was doing all of the talking ah. and she really wasn't sure what the point of view was of her team and what they were, you know, what they were looking for. And I'm, I'm trying to be a little vague in 
terms of protecting the first person's story. But, yeah. Uh, but, I don't think there's any danger of anybody <laughs> understanding who you're talking about here. Um, so, so please continue. <laughs> but, but um, you know, what we, what we did off of that when she said, you know, actually, I don't know. And I'm not sure mm-hmm. what their point, you know, what this person's point of view is and what they're thinking. And so we kind of, we came up with a plan to ask some specific questions and to actually sit back and listen. So she discovered that uh, through your questions that she wasn't really understanding how people saw her, what their point of view was, and that required her to then take a different approach to them and, and be more active as a, as a, as taking a listening stance. Yeah. So how does one be a good client then? Because I know that there are some folks listening here who are seeking executive coaching or who are in coaching relationships and, and maybe they're not making full use of it. So what's the, what's the single most important quality of someone who is being coached to, to really get value from the experience? Yeah, I, th- I think it's really important to be willing to go out of your comfort zone and try something different. The reason that we have behaviors that we repeat over time is because they become very familiar and very habitual for us. And sometimes to break those habits and to you know change our behavior, it requires us to try something new that's really out of our comfort zone. And so being open to trying new things over a period of time, getting some feedback, and, and deciding whether you know this is the a good way to go is really important. So that openness and mm-hmm. willingness to step outside your comfort zone and try something new is, is really important if you want to make a change. If you just want to talk and not change, then you know you can, you can stick with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Right. So being willing to to consider alternative paths and to and to be open to that and and I suppose non defensive and explaining away. Your, your past behavior, uh, but really seeing, trying to see the world in a different way. So what kind of impact does, does coaching have? Uh, and ha- how do you know if you're successful? Let me just enlarge that question a little bit and ask, how does, how as a firm, how's, as an organization, do you assess the value of coaching, you know, the investment that, that your organization is making in uh, in coaching for the people of, uh, of of the organization, yeah, it's it's a really great question. I think you know in in the organization we often um, offer coaching when somebody's going through a major transition. So they're taking on a bigger role, they have a new big team, um, and need to you know do things differently. Like my friend Marshall Goldsmith says, "What got you here won't get you there." Right. So it requires you to to take a different approach. Mm-hmm. And so um, in terms of measuring impact, we actually get other people involved. Well, we interview stakeholders, we interview their teams, we look for ways to get feedback on how this person is doing. Mm-hmm. The other thing I would say is it has to do with business impact, right? We, we have to be able to measure an impact to the business to, to actually show the value of coaching as well. So it's both in terms of how this person is running their business, how they're leading their teams, and depending on what they're working on, we measure impact differently. Um, how do you mean? So, so if somebody is working on being um, a better team leader, so they've never led a huge team before, 
we're going to get feedback from their team. We're going to look at their attrition. We're going to look at how their team values them as a manager as we measure through um, our manager effectiveness index, it's called. Mm -hmm. We'll do a number of things like that. Somebody is trying to work on something that's more... Um, you know, about producing results and getting a team motivated towards results, we're going to look directly at what that measurement is, you know, to see a correlation. But a lot of it, I think, also has to do with the person and their reporting, their, mm -hmm. their peers and, um, you know, a 360 kind of view of how they're doing, and then looking at metrics that m might be available to us, like business results in the area that we're working on to see how someone's doing. So, so when somebody's making a, an important transition, you just assume that they're going to need help, and 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 provide it or offer it. Uh, there are probably other cases where there's a performance problem where people are you know are compelled to do executive coaching or strongly suggested that they get it, and then there are others who just volunteer because they think it's a good idea and they want that help. Do, am I characterizing the different kinds of approaches? Well or not? So I think that's true in the world. At City, we, we offer coaching in certain situations. Mm -hmm. um, most of them are not, you know, what I would call remedial, you know, where someone right, has right, a problem. Right. And, and I would say it's, it's really up to every manager of people mm -hmm. to coach their people as well. Um, and so we do a lot in terms of helping managers become coaches mm -hmm. and creating a coaching culture so that, you know, that's part of our DNA. Um, you know, in terms of formal coaching. And do most people warm to that? Do they find it, oh, well, I don't want to do this touchy-feely stuff. I just want to, you know, drive the business and people will do what they need to do because they're being paid to do it. I mean, where, where is, the, is there tension like that there or do you Absolutely. not? Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So how do you how do you get through that? Yeah. How do you push through that or get people to see as business leaders the value of being an effective coach? Yeah, I think I think it's really it's a struggle. You know, we, people are busy. They have short term goals trying to think mm -hmm. long term and mm -hmm. coaching. You know, people say, well, coaching takes time. So part of it is about teaching our leaders the skills so that they feel comfortable coaching. It's not mm -hmm. a, a natural muscle for a lot of people. Right. Right. So and people say, well, I just don't know, I don't know what to do. Or I don't know how to say it mm -hmm. or what to, you know, and they think that in order to coach, you have to actually, you know, plan time three weeks in advance and sit down for two hours. And it has to be this really big thing when, in fact, coaching really happens often in the small moments. Mm -hmm. Right. Somebody comes to you and says, hey, boss, I really screwed up. What do, you, what do you do there? Um, you could yell and scream. You could say, well, let me tell you what you should have done. Or you could take a deep breath and say, so tell me what happened. And what would you do differently next time? And mm -hmm. what do you think you know, got in the way? And start asking questions and start coaching that person. That's so much of a better approach. I would so much more want to talk to you if you were asking me those questions than yelling and screaming at me, Lainey. I, I believe that most people would say that. <laughs> and, and, of course, I would learn more, and I'd, I'd likely to be a more effective uh, asset if, you know, in terms of contributing to your business goals if I were. So it's not, that, it's not that complicated, really, but it's not a natural act for many people, is it? I, I think that's true. I think people hear the word leadership, and they conjure up you know, visions of Jack Welsh and Alan Mulally from Boeing and Ford and all these other great leaders that we've read all these books about. And in fact, I think it's way more simple or simpler than that. And, and really recognizing 
those small moments and taking advantage of them is really what leadership is about. So how does the work that you do as a coach affect people's lives beyond their business performance? Where do you see that? How does that play out? Yeah, in in a few ways. So first of all, a lot of times when we're talking about issues that are coming up for people at work, they come up at home too. So sometimes, you know, we'll start talking about something and, and, you know, somebody will have an aha moment and go, oh, my gosh, my husband has been telling me this for the longest time. Like like what, for example? (laughs) Um, Like I don't listen really well or I, you know, I tend to fly off the handle really quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, Things that are sort of maybe don't get called out as much at home but get called out at work. Really? When some, you know, when people are sort of... People are more accountable for those kinds of behaviors at work than at home, you find. I I have found that. That's interesting. Um, I I think we're looking um, a lot more at how people get work done in addition to what they get done. So it's not all about the numbers and the goals, Mm -hmm. but it's also about how do you get there? How do you treat people? How do you lead? How do you behave? and so forth. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so sometimes that connection will come out in a conversation. Um, Also- And then how do you you work with that? Yeah. My husband tells me the same thing. I don't listen. He's an idiot though, so I don't have to listen to him. Yeah. Or I mean, she might say, perhaps not, I don't know. (laughs) But what, what do you do with that material if it comes up? So I might say, you know, hey Stu, what, what's the impact if you keep doing that Mm -hmm. at home? Or- you know, ooh, my wife, my husband, my kid might, mm-hmm. you know, really start to get fed up with me, or you know, we might kind of go down that path. Um, sometimes it's really an aha moment, and then the other part of it is, you know, if things are going, um, and and you've certainly taught me this, um, when things are are sort of off kilter in one part of your life, it really can have an effect mm-hmm. on the other parts of your life. So so that's not a trade off, but an integration in those areas of your life. They so. are mutually affecting, of course. Yeah. So um, so people will see patterns that, that, that's, that, that appear in their home lives or their other parts of their lives beyond work. Are there other ways in which you see uh, the, 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 the positive impact of coaching on uh, relationships and uh, performance in other parts of people's lives? Yeah. I always find that a cornerstone of my coaching is also helping other people to be better listeners and to, mm. you know, ask good questions and coach themselves. Um, so often that will trickle over into other aspects of their lives. Like using the example we were talking about before, now somebody might say, wow, you know, when my teenager came over to me and started telling me the world was ending, I didn't, you know, yell back or react. I asked some questions and, oh, wouldn't you know it? We, we actually came to a great solution that mm-hmm. she figured out herself. So I, th- I think it really does, you know, learning new skills and changing the way that we do things can have an impact in other areas. So what are the, like, the top three or four things that you get from clients? Like, what are, what are people most, you know, concerned about, most worried about, most wanting to do something about to change? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think one thing is around how do I show up? You know, the whole idea of imposter syndrome, you know, feeling Mm. like I'm not, you know, actually earning my spot or showing up well. 
And so trying to find ways to, you know, help them get the feedback that they need hmm. or in other cases not need some of that validation and then feeling really good about their accomplishments. Um, I think another thing that comes Let's up. Stay on yeah, that you want to stay on that one? Yeah, because I, I hear that a lot too. Yeah. Um, many of our students here at the Wharton School and in other MBA programs and undergrads, they, they worry about this. Do I deserve you know this all this opportunity that I'm getting? Uh, how will I succeed? How will I know if I'm successful? Do, do I really belong here? Um, so how do you help people with that? Yeah. To have a sense of confidence that, yeah, they do belong. I, I think, you know, to our earlier conversation, there's part of it is normalizing. So what you just mm. said, I hear this a lot, mm-hmm. you know, especially at a school like Wharton, we hear people talking about this all the time, like, oh, OK, it's not just me. Um, and then I, it's thinking about, well, where are the areas that you're showing? Why are you here? What is it that you're bringing to the table and kind mm. of recognizing and celebrating your value and your strengths? And by the way, they may be really different than the value and strengths of the person that you're currently comparing yourself to. And mm. that's okay. You know, it's so important, right, to, mm. to make clear the social comparisons and to differentiate. Say more about how you help people with that because that's a real big problem. Yeah, I think we all tend to come from sort of a scarcity mentality instead of an mm. abundance mentality. So, what do you mean by that? So if this person's really good at this, then I can't be. Or, you know, if there's, you know, one smartest person in the room, that it has to be one. It can't be all of us being mm. really smart and accomplished. And so trying to really make space for yourself as well as everybody else, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay for other people to be good as well. But what, what is your unique value? What's your superpower? What's that thing that, you know, you think is really natural, but other people tend to tell you is, you know, compliment you on or tell you is a strength? Um, mm. You know, it's often our biggest strengths are things that we just really do naturally and, and don't take necessarily for granted. And take for granted. So we think everybody must do it. Right. right. So just helping people to identify what their distinctive contribution is mm-hmm. can help people get over the... How do I show up as as a competent uh, person who can really contribute? So that's that's one of the big ones. What else do people bring? How do I how do I network and um, influence other people? So networking for a lot of people in organizations, networking is really important, right? We get th- things done mostly through other people, and for a lot of people whether you're an introvert or just you've not had to do it before, it feels very unnatural. And so people really struggle with how to build their cadre of, mm-hmm. you know, or their, their network and the people that they can turn to. Um, so we spend time talking about how to do that in a way that's authentic and comfortable for, for you as an individual. What's your best advice on that? I, th- I think, you know, part of it is reaching out at a time when you don't need somebody. So you feel like you have something in the bank. Right. So, you know, I, I, talk- I get it. Bank. City group. <laughs> he caught me. I just wanted to make sure we were focused on where I'm from. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. That was stupid. I apologize no, for digressing like there. It. So something in the bank that you're building up. It's not when you're desperate. Please help me. It's, yeah. it's when you feeling strong and you can you can you can help other people. That's the time to be helping and, yeah. and to be building up the, the sense of uh, you're a contributor. 
So a little trick that I share with people, because yeah. people think networking, I have to call somebody, mm-hmm. I have to make time for a coffee, mm-hmm. and I have to think about what to say. So so the two things that I share with people is, one, people love to talk about themselves. So call someone up for a coffee, no strings attached, and ask them questions about yes. themselves. They love to tell you. Yes. Um, and, and you're not asking for anything at the end. So right. Purely networking. So you're, you're purely expressing genuine curiosity yeah. about what interests them and what they're passionate about, what they're working on, yeah. what they're challenged by. Really great. Like, you know, what is it? What's what's keeping you, you know, keeping you excited these days? Mm-hmm. What are you working on? And show and to your point, just showing that genuine interest. I think people really appreciate. The other thing that I share So I just got to sit oh, there and listen to other people. I, I mean, know. how is that going to help me, you know, build my social capital? A skeptic might ask yeah. or or very very busy person who doesn't have time for this stuff might ask. What do you say to them? I say it's an investment. Yes. It's an investment because when you want to call that person, you want to make sure they pick up the phone. And I mm-hmm. believe they'll be much more likely to be there for you if you've approached them in other settings with other motivations like just getting to know them. What else do people bring to you as as you know, pressing concerns that they would want to get help from a coach on? Dealing with conflict. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whether it be with a boss, a peer, a subordinate, that when situations arise at work, a lot of people struggle to address them quickly and effectively. So often we're talking about how do I give feedback? How do I address? Like negative feedback, especially. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Although I'm glad you made that clarification because I do think that one great way to practice giving feedback is to give positive feedback to people. Um, put a smile on people's face and give really specific positive feedback. Mm-hmm, but but mm-hmm. yes, I think in terms of the, the your original question, you know, dealing, dealing with conflict, having to address it with somebody on your team, your peer, your boss, is something that a lot of people really find uncomfortable. And what is the difficulty that people have in dealing with conflict, and how do you help them with that? Yeah, I think it's different for different people. Some people don't know how to talk about it without emotion. Um, so to deal mm-hmm. with the situation, I think often because we're afraid to deal with it, we let it go for a really long time. And if you think of a, a sort of continuum, um, that doesn't you know this type of situation doesn't age well. So kind of gets mm-hmm. bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, Festering. Yes, for sure. Sometimes people just, you know, aren't sure, um, you know, what the reaction is going to be. What if the person cries? What if the person gets angry? What if, um, you know, they start yelling at me or, you know, you, you name it. Yes. Um, and so we sort Fraught of... emotional reactions. Yeah. How do you help them with that? Yeah. Their anticipation of that. So, so I think... Part of it is is actually simplifying how we give feedback. So there's a model that I really love, mm-hmm. and it's called it's SBI, Situation, Behavior, Impact. So it sort of takes the emotion out of it, and I say, hey, Stu, when you um, you know earlier said to me that you thought I was not um, you know getting here early enough for your show. Um, I didn't say this, but go on. (laughs) I'm making it up, as we can tell. (laughs) You know, the impact was it made me really nervous to get started. So I'm not saying you were a jerk. I didn't say you shouldn't have said that and you were, you know, mean. But I just, you know, 
here was the situation, here was the behavior that you showed, and here was the mm-hmm. impact on me. Mm-hmm. Really simple. And so, you know, I... And how does that help to diffuse the kind of anxiety that, that people feel about being afraid to address, you know, conflictual kinds of questions? I think because it takes me and you out of it. It makes you a little more objective. Mm-hmm. I also find when you're building that muscle, so so hopefully over time you get really confident in doing this and you give feedback to people on a regular basis and so it feels more natural and it's authentic. It's a skill. It is a skill. you got to practice and, it. And I think having a, a simple model that you can use and you know practice or prepare helps diffuse the anxiety around having a conversation. Yeah. So... Situation, behavior, impact. So people are afraid to deal with conflict. That's one of the ways in which you help them. Um, Can I give a plug? Please. So I want to give a plug for positive feedback. (laughs) So I think, you know, often we'll say, oh, thanks, that was great. So situation, behavior, impact is also a really great way to give positive feedback in a way that's specific. Yes. And people really can take it in and understand what they did that was great. Right. And do it again. and so, and your your point here is that that was great is not very helpful. Yeah, right, it's pretty, because it's it's vague, nonspecific, and yeah. I don't know what you mean. Like, what was great about it? Yeah. So you got to describe what happened, the impact, and why it had a positive impact. Yeah, power feedback. Power feedback? How do you mean? I mean, it, feedback with power. You can actually take it. It feels really good because it's really specific, and you know what you did. And to your point, you can replicate it again. We're almost out of time, uh, and I have two more questions for you. One is, um, you know, we've talked about coaching as 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 being, you know, asking. The essence of it is being caring, compassionately inquiring, asking good questions. But it's also occasionally about advice. What's the best advice you've ever gotten? Oh, that's great. Um, I've gotten so much good advice. I'm trying to think of, of something specific. I think it's I think it's about recognizing the value that I bring and finding my lane. So, hmm. you know, much to what we were talking about earlier, you know, being in a big organization, working in, you know, with a group of talented people, whether, you know, I'm in the organization or working with my um, fellow Marshall Goldsmith 100 coaches, you know, recognizing that I have a value to bring and really using that superpower to help other people. And that has been important to you. Why? It's been important to me because, you know, I think as we were alluding to earlier, um, maybe I didn't recognize what that value was and Mm. I needed to kind of have it pointed out to me that there was an opportunity for me to, you know, show up in a different way and really own who I was. Hmm. So I found that really useful and something that I've taken, you know, I've taken with me. Yeah, no, I'm so glad we came back to that because uh, it's the first thing you mentioned when I asked you what are the main questions that people bring to you. Yeah. Uh, It's obviously an important question for you personally, but it's also one that I will reiterate is so present. Uh, it's it's ubiquitous in the business world at all levels. I just at gave a talk levels. a couple of weeks ago to a group of very senior uh, legal advisors in organizations, chief, chief legal officers of major companies. And one of the 
I mean, these are senior people who have you know been around and accomplished great things, and uh, this is what they wanted to talk about. Yeah. So you know, if you're if you're out there listening and you're 27 years old and you're thinking, ah, how am I going to do all this? You you know, this is a question that's probably going to be with you for some time. And everybody, I mean, really, everybody, everybody at every is, level is is worried about this and just. It's a matter of uh, surrounding yourself with uh, with people who are going to help you to see the value that you bring. Such an important idea. Um, okay, last question. A little a little less time for this. We talked a bit about it before. It's a question I've been asking everybody this year because I think we need to address it more in the world. And that is, really quickly, uh, how do you bring compassion to your work? Yeah. I think it's about re- you know recognizing that everybody's got a backstory, everybody's mm-hmm. got things that are important to them, and making room to listen to that, to be curious, and to not make assumptions about people. Excellent advice. Uh, I didn't you didn't mean it as advice, but that's how I took it, and it's extremely valuable point of view. Lainey, thank you so much for for joining me on the show tonight. It's been great conversing with you, learning from you about your work, your life, your your coaching impact. Really appreciate your being here. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I hope my conversation with Lainey Jolson-Cohen provided you with some new insights about how to grow as a leader in all parts of your life through coaching and building your network of support. Everybody needs help. And the great ones just continue to grow, continue to build their skills and the support they need surrounding them. So here is a challenge for you, an invitation. Why not try improving your skills as a source of feedback for people you care about by trying that SBI model, situation, behavior, impact, in thinking about how to provide some positive feedback to someone at work or in some other part of your life. Describe the situation, the specific behavior, and the impact that it had. See what happens in terms of how you affect that other person's performance, their sense of well-being, and your own ability to have a positive influence on the people around you. Give that a shot. Let me know how it goes. You can write to me, friedman.wharton.upenn.edu, or contact me on Twitter, at Stu Friedman. And if you have ideas about people you'd like to hear me speak with on this show, reach out to me, again, friedman.wharton.upenn.edu, or you can write to our team at workandlifepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work and Life. This conversation was originally recorded on my weekly radio show on Sirius XM 111, Business Radio, powered by Wharton. Tune in for live broadcasts of Work and Life on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. For more about today's guest and about previous guests, check out our blog at workandlifepodcast.com. Join the conversation by commenting there or tweeting at Stu Friedman. 
And for more ideas and tools for creating harmony among the different parts of life, check out our website, totalleadership.org, and my book, Total Leadership, Be a Better Leader, Have a Richer Life. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share it with your friends, family, and coworkers. Until next time, I'm your host, Stu Friedman, and I thank you for joining me. For more insight from Business Radio, please visit businessradio.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.